welcome to this Snowfibs podcast. In this episode, Margot Kingston talks with founding member of Voices for Indi, Phil Haynes. He was Kathy McGowan's campaign manager in 2013 when she defeated Sophie Mirabella and again in 2016 when McGowan again defeated the former member for Indi. Phil is married to Helen Haynes and was her campaign manager in 2019 when she became the first independent MP to succeed an independent in the federal parliament. Phil managed Helen Haynes' campaign at this year's election where the Indi community won a substantial swing of 7.55% on a two-candidate preferred basis. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Folks, I'm thrilled that the first NoFibs podcast after the election is with, oh, what would you call, what would you call him, um, the hidden mastermind behind <laughs> the, the Voices for Indi phenomenon, a bloke called Phil Haynes, who I met um, on election night in 2013, he was Kathy's campaign manager. Um, the next morning, I wake up in his hobby farm. It looked like a win had turned into a loss because of a misplaced preferences pile in Wangaratta. An ABC helicopter flies in. Voices for Indi people turn up for a, a casual brunch by the river. Uh, it's There's this feeling of calm instead of panic, and Mm -hmm. Helen puts up all these photos of volunteers, and it was just like, what is this world? Um, Phil Haynes' world. Phil Haynes, um, campaign manager for Kathy Twice and his wife, Helen Haynes, twice. There you were on the morning after in 2013. How on earth did you get there, Phil? Well, hello, Margot, and it's great to be here. How did I get there? That's a damn good question. Um, well, I started by getting a call from Kathy McGowan back in July the previous year, 2012, um, asking me and a bunch of other people if you'd like to come to a meeting to talk about Indi and the current state of politics in our electorate in North East Victoria and to chat about what we might want to do about it, if anything. So I turned up to that meeting with about 12 other people, and we chatted for an hour or two, and we met again the next week. And this was all in the library, or in a side room at the library in Wangaratta, in North East Victoria. So we chatted about that, and from that, uh, over many months, we moved towards forming Voice for Indi, as it was called in those days. Um, so that's why I got to be part of that meeting, I guess, but I guess my interest in politics goes So you're an agricultural then. scientist with a, a hobby farm in the region what was your involvement in politics or, or interest in politics before then like how, how did you go from a meeting to being campaign manager superstar sort of thing okay um well i'd always had this this interest in politics which went right back to when i was growing up in fact i can recall i was so keen about politics when i was young that i can recall um the day that Gough Whitlam got sacked yep. by the governor general I was actually listening to Parliament live as I was painting my mum and dad's garage, weatherboard garage <laughs> in Melbourne. I had the radio on broadcasting live from Parliament. I wasn't totally tuned in, but all of a sudden they, they stopped referring to Gough as the Prime Minister and they referred to him as the member for Werriwa. I thought, heck, what's happened? So he was no longer Prime Minister in a space of a few seconds. So that was when I was about 18, 19, I guess. Um, 
in our family, we'd always talked a bit about general political stuff, um, not so much about party politics, but about political stuff, and especially about issues. Uh, we talked about issues. And my mother was a key person in these kitchen table conversations, or our kitchen table conversation, as it was in those days. And she was a very strong environmentalist, um, had very strong views about doing the right thing by the planet. She was a fantastic recycler. Um, she was dead against nuclear power. And this mm. is back in the 70s or a bit earlier. Um, there was an organisation called the Movement Against Uranium Mining, M-A-U-M. And mum was a key person involved with that. So we had these discussions over time about political stuff. But I never actually joined a party, although I did go um, to the Melbourne Town Hall back in the day when Don Chip had resigned from the Liberal Party and he was going to set up this new party called the Australian Democrats. So I went to that meeting and it was packed out, maybe 3,000 people in Melbourne Town Hall. Um, and I was quite inspired by that. And I did actually join the, the Australian Democrats briefly, um, the Young Democrats, as much for the social aspects as for perhaps the, um, the political part, maybe to, to meet a few young women. <laughs> um, so I went to, to a couple of meetings, didn't get too involved. So over time... Um, this interest in politics was there in the background. I'd like to talk about politics more with my friends and family, but it never morphed into any kind of direct involvement over you know, the best part of 35 to 40 years until that call from Cathy McGowan to a bunch of her contacts. Um, so you're a, um, a born in Kuyong, so you're a Melbourne boy. Um, how did you go from yeah. there to become an agricultural scientist and a... A, a regional Australian, a, a proud regional Australian, with a with a small farm and 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 working in Australia mm. and across the world on on agricultural issues. Yeah, that's a very good question. So, um, grew up in Bourbon, obviously a small um, small house and a small lot in Bourbon, um, a long way from farming in regional Australia. But I'd always had this big interest in the environment. I can recall reading lots of books when I was young about ecological things. Um, one book which in particular stood in my mind was called The Great Extermination, about how mankind has exterminated so many species. And the great story of the um, the passenger pigeon in the States, which was so numerous, it used to blank out the sun when large flocks threw across, flew across America. In the space of only 20 years, that species became extinct. So I had this interest in, through being shot by many Americans, so there's an interest in ecology, the environment, and I thought I would like to pursue some kind of career in the outdoors. Um, so I signed up to do agricultural science at Melbourne University. I had no, didn't have much knowledge about the course, but I thought this could be a broad degree, and I did that. We spent the second year down on a farm outside, um, in those days, Deer Park, which was still quite rural. These days it's almost all suburban. Um, 12 months there with my colleagues from the same year. And that developed this interest in um, farming, in agriculture, and in regional Australia, I guess. And once I finished my degree, I spent a year down south and then moved up, joined the Department of Agriculture, worked as an agronomist and then a research scientist, and moved to Rutherglen in northeast Victoria back in the 80s, and then spent my early part of my career there, then took two years off and went to... Africa. I got a job as a scientist working in Africa, in Ethiopia and Kenya. And it was fascinating to actually arrive in Ethiopia, again, not knowing much about East Africa, and nothing, nothing about politics. But here was this third world African country. And the first impression I got was all these huge um, signs and busts and statues of Marx and Lenin and Engels, because at that time, 
It had a military regime who was very closely connected with uh, the USSR, with the Soviet Union. So they had a big input of soldiers from the Soviets and from Cuba. So I saw this politics, this politics transferred or transformed from Russia into Africa, playing out in terms of these internal wars that were going on between the Ethiopians and their northern uh, neighbours, Tigray and Eritrea. So that kind of gave me a very real depiction about what politics can be life. It can be life or death, because we used to see trucks drive around and just grab young men off the streets and put them into the army and they go off and fight. So I saw it raw in the flesh then, came back, returned to northeast Victoria and pursued a career in agricultural research and extension and bought a small farm just outside Wangaratta, which has become a, a key part of who we are and the kids all grew up on that farm. So I don't call myself a farmer because we only have 50-odd acres and Helen and I have always had a fair bit of off-farm income, so it's not our main source of income, but it's been a great interest of mine over the years and very close to town. So we've got the best of both worlds of being close to the um, the facilities of Wangaratta, but having the, the freedom and the, the space of having a farm next door to a, a billabong and a, and a large river. So that's where we grew up, and I've been I've kind of merged those things together of being a farmer, uh, being an agriculture scientist, and then getting involved with politics. So you, you did your campaign manager in 2013, you and Dennis Skinnevin yeah. um, and, and the group really had Indi shares, wanted to sort of invite people to um, understand how you did things. And then when Cathy retired, Helen, your, your wife, emerged as, as the candidate and you um, have become a volunteer for, for, for your wife. Um, I understand that you can't employ family members as a as a parliamentarian. So so you're you're a full time volunteer in the centre of power in Australia. So, <laughs> what, what, how do you describe the overall journey as as you've you know finally sent this book uh, on on the Voices for Indi um, to the printers? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think Helen might dispute some of this being a full-time <laughs> volunteer for her, but what I've been doing, <laughs> what I've been doing, I guess, since day one is helping to set up Voices for Indi in those early months and then a very quick conversation between, between Cathy and I as we walked out from a kitchen table conversation training session back in February 2013 where she said she and I have been trying to encourage some people across Indi to think about standing as a candidate that, We'd gone out and spoken to different people we thought could be worthy um, candidates, and they all said that's that's a great thing you're doing, support you down all the way, but it's not me. I couldn't possibly be a candidate. So then Cathy said as we walked out from this meeting, I've been thinking about this over Christmas time, I'm going to put my hand up, and within an nanosecond I said, well, if you become a candidate, I'll be your campaign manager, without even thinking about it more than that. So that transpired. I was a campaign manager. It was a full-time job, effectively, for three or four months. Um, and then obviously Cathy was elected, she went to Parliament and then I was also involved in 2016 and we started meeting at least a year outside from the election date to form the campaign team, work on that. And that then morphed obviously into Cathy doing a second term and then early discussion about would she recontest in 2019 and while in public she'd been a bit um, unclear about that, in private she was pretty clear that she would like to retire. So that then rose, oh, the question then rose, who might take her place? Because um, we didn't want it to go back to the major parties. So I was then encouraging Helen. I thought I saw in Helen someone who had the 
the attributes um, in terms of her health background, her communication skills, her empathy, and 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 a bunch of other skills. And she had a great backstory coming on a farm and such being born on a farm. So I spent twelve months trying to encourage her to think about running. And her response to me was always, politics ain't my thing, but it's your thing. Why don't you think about standing and becoming a candidate? <laughs> so when she put her hand up with two others to go through that fantastic process that Voices for Indi helped facilitate at Benalla um, in the early summer of 2019, Helen was invited to be the candidate. So I said, look, if you become the candidate and you're elected, I'll retire or resign from my job and I'll support you as best I can. And the support means doing much of the stuff at home, trying to keep our farm operational and working with Helen when she needs it in her office. And that looks a bit like, um, you might know, Margot, that one of Cathy's great innovations when she was the member was to set up this volunteer program. And she could invite anybody from the electorate and sometimes beyond to come and spend the week in Canberra when the parliament was sitting. And they would be fully immersed in the in the day-to-day activities of a parliament of a parliamentary person in Canberra. And they get involved with things, they go to meetings, they'd share the discussions about strategy, etc. A great way to learn about politics, but also to uh, get contacts and take those back to your job back in India. So when Helen was elected, I've kind of helped with coordinating that program in Canberra. She's kept that going. And while COVID made that difficult during the first or during the last parliament. Um, we kept it going to some extent and now it's gearing up again this time. So I helped with that in Canberra. And again, in this last campaign, I was Helen's campaign manager and that was a big job. Because um, for... We had a much bigger campaign. Four very highly contested campaigns, like a lot of money and a, and a lot of effort put in by, by the Libs to, to, to retain that seat and then to, to win it back three times. It, 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 was, it was tough, wasn't it? It was a, it was a tough gig. It was very tough. Yeah, tough kick. So 2019, we, I think, yeah. surprised ourselves by winning. Um, we hope to be competitive and perhaps make Indi a marginal seat. I think to actually win it first time was just incredible. 2016, you might recall in that time, there was, uh, for 18 months, there was in the background this legal case brewing yes. and finally going to court where the Australian newspaper did some pretty detailed investigations, I think supported by other people. Um, and they investigated a whole bunch of young people who it was alleged had actually um, transferred their um, address from their Melbourne or Sydney-based home where they were studying or working um, back to their family home in uh, in Indi, and they were therefore voting illegally. So that case ran ran for 18 months. In the end, all charges were dropped. So the Liberal Party at that time, was working very hard to get Indi back into the fold, if you like, and Sophie Mirabella ran a second time. Um, to Cathy's great credit in the campaign, we did a, we kept focused on the positive, we didn't go negative, and um, Cathy increased her margin. Yeah. But then the big challenge once she retired after the second term was could we transfer from an independent who's retiring to another independent candidate? And it's never been done before in the House of Reps in the Australian Parliament. I think there was one case in the state parliament that took place, but never in the Australian parliament. So the challenge for all of us, for Helen in particular as a candidate, and then for all these supporters across Indo was can we do this a third time, a third time have an independent elected to be the member for Indo, mm. and can we transfer or help mm. move from Cathy retiring to a new candidate in Helen Haynes? So that was the big challenge and it was bloody tough. And the Libs had yep. a very good candidate and they were convinced they were going to win 
And right up until the last week, yep. they were telling us all around the electorate that they've yep. seen the polling that's been done by the party and they were comfortably in front. So they thought... And you also had that issue of of Cathy being so deeply generationally embedded in Indi and in regional terms, Helen being a newbie and, 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 and not, you know, even though she's been there 30 years or whatever, but and not, not well yeah. well known across the electorate. So it was a... A huge, huge ask, and and I remember um, a couple of things. I remember. Do you remember Squig did a, a last minute um, video for you, um, which which helped. He did. It was but great. A, but he did a, a great a job. A number of people yeah. Yeah. said to me that they thought it was her appearance on Q and A in the last week that that the people of Indi tuned in and went, "Oh, she looks like she could." We, we, she looks like someone who could represent us. It was a, it was touch and go, and there was a lot of dirty tricks, wasn't there? A lot of dirty tricks. Yeah, and I, I think that 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 was a turning point. Q and A yep. was on the Monday before the Saturday election, so what, five, five days out, six days out, and this was the first time Helen had been on Q and A, of course, and she was there, invited mm. to be an independent, mm. sitting alongside mm. Tanya Plimasek. Um, Simon Birmingham and Richard Dittali, three big hitters of the three parties. And I think Tanya had been on Q&A yeah. 32 times before, so she was the, the most experienced. So there was Helen, the newbie, fronting up with the three other experienced politicians. And I think you're right, Margaret. I think people saw a very um, composed and articulate and thoughtful person as the candidate for Indi. And I think that gave Helen credibility. I think after that, people saw in her that she could be... Mm our rep in Indi, she could do a good job, she could actually take it up to the major parties and the politicians and she could argue the case and represent the people of Indi in a way which hadn't been done previously. Um, it so was that a was very a big point. decision, yeah. as I recall, because I remember No Fibs was doing a video of all our Independence Day candidates and she refused to be in it because she said, no, I want to be local, this mm. is local. And someone told me that she yes. didn't really want to do Q&A because she thought, oh, that's national, they'll, they'll think I'm part of some... And, and it was such a such an important decision to say, actually, yes, and, and to give the people of Indi a chance to say, I'm the right person for you on the national stage to represent Indi. Yeah, look, Helen was very, um, she was caught. In fact, when the phone call came in, um, our son Nick took the phone call from the producer at Q&A saying they'd like to invite Helen to be on the show that week and his eyes lit up and we were very excited but Helen's first reaction was oh if I say yes it might look like I'm going above my my level if you like it also means I'll be away from campaigning in Indi for a day and a half and that means I can't hand out my cards at the pre-polling because you might recall Margot or you, you would know this the oh. pre-polling is such an important part of voting early voting and these days and certainly in 2019, a lot of people vote before election day. So it's important that the candidate is out there meeting people, handing out cards and chatting. So Helen was very worried. She went to bed that night, not sure what she'd do, saying she'd steward it. And when she woke in the morning, she said, yep, I'm going to do this. I think this could be an important thing to do. It would give all my supporters confidence that I have got what it takes if I don't make it up. Um, and it might show others that I can be a worthy person to represent them. So it was a turning point, but it was also... Um, Helen was a bit um, caught whether she should or shouldn't because it would take her away from that campaigning for a bit more than a day. Driving to yeah. Melbourne, being overnight, having to come back. So the after the 2019 election, 
rather than have people come to Indi to, to hear what you've done, you and Dennis Skinnevan, my understanding is you started accepting invitations to go to Sydney, to go to other regional areas, because it, after 2019 with Zali's win and, and et cetera, it, there, there seemed to be a, a, a well, there was an enormous interest in can this be replicated. So, how did you how did you approach that post two thousand and nineteen spreading the way we did it um, goal? Mm, mm. Um, look, it goes back even before that. It's been an important thing for Voices for Indi right from the word go that we are prepared to talk about what we've done and be open and transparent about that. So. Um, in 2014, we had a Indi yep. Talks event where we shared our experiences with others. Yeah. We had an Indi Shares event the year after or thereabouts. So we were very keen from the word go to actually talk to others who'd like to come down to Indi, um, share what we'd learned, share our knowledge, etc., cetera, um, in the hope that they might think about doing something different or something similar. Um, we'd also had lots of invitations to go and meet groups elsewhere and sometimes to attend conferences and talk about the approach we'd taken. So these things were happening after 2013. Um, they were also getting quite a big demand upon Voices of Rindog. We're a not-for-profit um, incorporated association. We haven't got much money. So we did say to people, we're happy to come if you can at least cover some of the costs, but even better, come down to Indi and talk to us here. So that was kind of in the background for quite some years leading up to the 2019 election. And one key thing we did do was in 2018, we organised a two-day conference at Wodonga at La Trobe University um, with some fantastic guest speakers with Cathy, with Susanna Sheed, who's the independent member for Shepparton in the state parliament, and some other people running for office or had run as candidates, and a bunch of other people talking to anybody who'd like to come along about what we did, how we did it, and the whole thing about politics, getting elected. And we had about 80 people come to that from all the eastern states and I think from Tasmania. And that kind of told people we've got some knowledge here, we're keen to share. That was 2018. And then after the 2019 election, um, Dennis Ginnivan decided he'd like to do more of this work, so he resigned from Voice of Rendai and then spent a lot of time going out, making contact with different people, um, going out to their electorates, talking to them about how they might try and um, engage with their community. So it was much more about the engagement part, trying to talk about um, how having better representation might impact upon them rather than actually talking about campaigning or candidates. And then after, Dennis did that for the best part of a year or two. And then after that, um, a few of um, people from Indi, so Cathy in particular, Alana Johnson, Jill Briggs and some other people formed this community independent project. And they've been very active too in the last one and a half years, two years, supporting groups across the country, supporting candidates. So there's been this range of different activities taking place. And I think because Zali was elected back in 2019 as well as Helen, and Zali came off the back of a very big grassroots campaign. There was a Voices for Warringah and then another group who were more active in trying to find a candidate. They kind of worked together largely. And effectively in 2019, the only two independents who knew independents to be elected to the parliament, um, out of about 85, I think, who ran across the country, was Zali in Warringah and Helen in Indi. And my take on that was that was in large part because they had yeah. a massed community engagement and involvement process, people keen to work with them. They had lots of volunteers. So that was a key part of their success. So we've tried to do that. Dennis has tried to do that. The Community Independent Project is trying to encourage other people to think about working with your community to try and so, so get So this gets involved. me to um, 
the conceptual basis of of Voices for Indi and and some of the groups that spawned. Um, after the 2019 election, you remember I was going to write a book, so I came down to Indi and you invited all the key people in the campaign. And at the end of it, to sort of like a debrief and how did we do it, at the end of it, Helen gave me a book called New Power. And it seems mm. to be a very important um, conceptual breakaway from from old power, from old politics. So so can you take listeners through what what that's about and, and, and how you approach this new form of, of politics? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. So this book, written by a couple of chaps who've been very much involved with um, online work with innovation across digital platforms, um, that they wrote this book called New Power, which kind of gave us a good framework in which we could think about what we were doing and how we could actually help it become even more powerful across the country. So they talked about in this book about old power, which is kind of the traditional way that politics is run. So a few people have lots of power. They control it pretty tightly. They let bits and pieces out when they want to. But they're in charge, if you like. And to be honest, it's mostly blokes. That's how old power has been for centuries, I guess, mostly men in charge, deciding who they might appoint, who might become aware of what's going on and be part of certain things. What these two authors talked about was this new power idea, which is much different to that. It's about a movement create, being created and sparking ideas which are then let go. So rather than trying to control it, you let it run, let it get out there, you support it and you anticipate and expect others will pick up some of your ideas and what you've done, but they won't just copy it. They'll actually try and adapt it and modify it to suit the circumstances in which they live and, and work. So being prepared that this will change. So any kind of movement, um, if it's a true movement, you let it go, you let it run, it sparks, the current goes across to different parts of the electorate or country, whatever, and it, mm. it's morphed into different forms. So that told us that that, well, that gave us a reference, a model by which we can think about how we might go about trying to support other groups. So not trying to control it, not to say, not to say you have to do it our way, but say here's what we did, this is why we did it. You might want to think about how you can work with your community, and if there's bits and pieces in that which make sense, go for it. Use them, change them, modify them to suit your circumstances. So that gave us a very good framework to try and think about our approach. And beyond part of new power is that the, you know, it sounds obvious, but the power is actually with the people, that the, the core asset is the volunteers yeah. and their enthusiasm and their outreach to neighbours, etc. And therefore it has to be um, uh, creative and, and not, turned into a template because every every individual as in every individual community it's it's completely different but this is it's very risky and um it's very threatening um and you know you've seen people sort of come in and try and turn it into a a a a template um so how how do you how do you think that this can go on without being turned into a franchise, without being turned into a checklist. Um, and it, Because if it hmm. isn't turned into a checklist, there can be all sorts of major problems, can't there, in terms of if there is a movement, then one group's responsible for another group fucking up or being corrupt. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it, The whole thing is incredibly hmm. exciting and incredibly risky. Yeah, it's a fascinating take, and the word risk is one which has been used many times. Um, 
we we never saw it as being a big risk in terms of what we did in Indo. So let me just go back a few steps. So um, for those who perhaps don't know, um, unlike major parties, which are usually formed around yep. a particular ideology, so a certain worldview about what they would like to prosecute or change in society, Labor Party, Liberal Party, National Party, etc. Voices of Rendai never started from any kind of shared ideology. And we never talked about big P politics amongst the people who first met in that side room by the library in Wangaratta more than 10 years ago. What we did over many months, and at times this was a bit torturous and painful, and we had to stick with the process, but was to work out what common values we had. So in the end, Voices of Rendai formed on a common set of values. Um, and it's from that which we took to the different election campaigns and all we ever asked of people were if they wanted to get involved, they had to sign up. And in those early days, it was signing a physical form um, to sign up to the values of the campaign in more recent times. Core values, what are, what are they, Phil? They have got a, oh, things like um, respect, respecting other people, respecting other candidates, um, diversity of opinions. We're not trying to f- narrow it down to a particular worldview, i.e. an ideology, so being inclusive. It's, it's a good question, Margo, and I think one of the key points there is is around, you talked about risk, um, and for us, risk has never been a major concern, to be honest, so let me just take you back. Um, as we probably know, major parties or most political parties form around a particular ideology, so they've got shared views, a worldview about how the world should be, things they'd like to change, etc., and that's usually the reason they come together. We never had that. That was never part of what we did. In fact, I don't think we ever talked about amongst the group who first met in Wangaratta at the library all those years ago. We never talked about politics, big P politics, who you might vote for, etc. What we did talk about and spent many hours and over many meetings talking about were, were values. So what are the values that we might share as a group and maybe in the end could be the foundation of the Voices for Endi? And that's what we worked on. So we did that hard work, the long discussions, at times a bit tiring and a bit boring at times, but absolutely foundational as to who Voices of Rindai has become or has reached out to become and the people involved. So we never saw a big risk in therefore going the next step, which is to trust people. So in terms of campaigning, what people might do, once people signed on and we actually insisted people sign in the early days a physical form adhering to those values and more recently it's been a digital form so values like um, respect for other people and other points of view trying to bring in a diversity of viewpoints and worldviews we're not trying to cater to a certain demographic but anybody was welcome to be part of it Um, and we often characterize this and the other values in the shorthand version of being your best self um, something which we developed as Voices of Rindo, which Cathy used throughout her campaign and it's been ever, used ever since. So we expected people, in whatever they did, to be their best self. Um, and that's been a very powerful motivation, motivating force for all our volunteers. And to be honest, maybe in those early days, people in private conversations might start to talk about the sitting member in not always the most um, um, respectful ways. And people over time would say, well, we can't really say that. That's not being our best self. So we'd learnt to often self-administer, if you like, and <laughs> do the right thing and say the right thing. And it became a very powerful thing. So so I guess my point is that um, trust, we've always trusted our volunteers. And we've had very few, if any, instances where people have done the wrong thing, um, to be honest. 
either online through comments that are made online or through direct intervention which, which or interactions gets with people. Back to, I think, a fundamental aspect of the um, the new power idea. I remember at that dinner party, Helen saying, "We do radical trust, which means that we have a a, mm. a, a delegated campaign. So we allow." Um, we encourage people to form their own hubs in their own communities and do their own fundraising and their own creativity with incredible results, really. Um, you know, mm. orange cockatoos and all, all uh, orange chairs, all this, this wild stuff, which in old terms yes. would be so frightening. You know, you've got your, you've got your, your power centre in your campaign and, and, and the volunteers are told what, what to do. It's, it's an, a very different very different model and, and one that I don't think the Liberal Party has come to terms with yet. Um, I remember um, after the election Paul Fletcher did a piece saying what we learned is we've got to have much better micro-targeting on social media. You know, like it, it, it's, it's radical. It's, it's revolutionary in a way, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think it is and I think if you look at the major parties or all political parties, um, what they've suffered from in recent years is a declining membership base. So the Liberal Party, National Party, Labor Party, fewer and fewer people want to belong to a party these days, um, which is often controlled by the central governing committee or body, and they don't give out the power very much. Um, so what we did was quite different to that. And you're right, Margaret, we, we did trust people. We had this, this radical trust idea. Um, so while we had a centralised strategy, if you like, it was a very decentralised operation. And we did encourage volunteers to work in their community, because in the end, the person who knows best about their particular community is someone who lives there. I don't know... I know Wangaratta pretty well, where I live, but I don't know Mount Beauty or Mansford very well. So the best thing you can do is to have people from those communities, encourage them to get involved, sign up to, to the values, and let them support them in engaging with their community in the way which they think is the best way to try and talk to people and share the ideas that they have. So that's what we did. Um, We've been doing that from, from the word go, if you like, but over time it's become a bit more sophisticated in terms of giving as much power as we can to our volunteers. And that can be scary at times. People don't always know and don't always want to have that kind of authority and that kind of decision-making. People, Some people like to be told what to do. Um, so part of it has been trying to teach people and help people learn to accept more decision-making and more authority and to use it in a way which can actually help their community. So that's what we've done. But I think that's that's very confrontational and very anatema to who the major parties are who like to control it through a centralised system. Ours is quite different. Yes, it's radical. We didn't start it. I guess it was used a lot by Obama in his 2008 campaign. Um, so we learned from what he did um, and tried to use some of the ideas in what we've done in India in the last I did a, an interview with Louise Hislop, um, who founded Voices for Ringo and was inspired by, by you and Dennis um, coming up to have a chat. And um, I said, oh, look, there must be a lot of problems with spies... Like, if I was on the other side, I would volunteer as a community member and find out what you're doing and, and go back. And she said, we don't worry about that because we're happy with everything we're doing. We, we, you know, we're, we're transparent. If they, if they want to go back and say we're doing this, that's fine. Like, it, it's completely, it, 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 I don't know, rolls over or reverses the dirty tricks thing. Like, you're not playing dirty tricks. So if they want to know you're not playing dirty tricks, that's fine. <laughs> you know, that's it's, right. it's so interesting. Yeah. It is, it's, it's quite fascinating. In fact, what we learned over the years was that um, being positive and being actually nice 
is very hard to combat because, as we know, your politics is very adversarial. People like to, if someone makes a comment about you, not always in the, in the nicest way, your response mm. is often hit back even harder. And that's a tit for tat, and it gets goes mm. lower and lower. It's much harder if the person who you've made the comment to makes a nice comment back. Where do you go next? If they're not being nasty like you are, it's very hard to combat that. So we've tried to change that, and people can think that's a bit naff at times perhaps, um, a bit Pollyanna-ish maybe, but what it's done is to empower us and all our volunteers to actually be your best selves, and it's allowed people to have conversations and to give people a safe space in which to have conversations. So I think that's been key to what we've done as well. We've changed politics from being this adversarial, um, risky, uh, potentially unpleasant experience to one which is much more positive, um, and anybody can contribute, anybody can have ideas and share those in a way which does not threaten them and is not harmful. So we've tried to do that in India, and I think that's happened well and it's now happening across different parts of the country. So I think that's been a big achievement well, for what's I'd happened I'd like here. to add to that, that, that because it's so different, it's incredibly refreshing and appealing. Like a lot of the candidates at the last election... They were complete novices. They were extremely nervous. And so the audience that, 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 or the, the voter could, mm. could sort of relate to their journey. And, you know, it, it, it is, it, it's, just, it's just incredibly attractive all of a sudden when people are positive because they're not used to it. But I'd like to go back to your ideology and make a, a, a point. It, it, to me, the, all these kitchen table conversations and everything, it's about, yeah, we disagree on a lot of things. But what do we agree on? And I remember in 2013, there were two things that didn't matter who you voted for, what you agreed on. You, you wanted the black spots fixed with the internet and you wanted a decent train service to, 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 to Indi. Mm. And then there was corruption and, and climate change. And, and, and you know, but you, you could, you're basically saying to people, yeah, we disagree on a lot, but in this seat, this is what we agree on and if I can just rave for a little bit longer I've thought ever since 2013 that the independents that win they embody their seat and and part of the process that Voices for Indi engages in is um, encouraging people to identify as belonging to a seat getting to know different aspects of their seat and thinking of themselves as a whole rather than a little bit of a a, 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 an isolated section. Do you go with any of that? Mm. Well, it's been quite amazing. If we look at Indi, um, up until 2013, I reckon if you are, if you did a survey at that time, I reckon 99% of people would not have a clue what Indi was. They saw it once every three years come election time and they might have seen it on the ballot paper and that was about this. Nobody knew about Indi or where they were in terms of that. I reckon what's happened now is that Indi has become, because we've talked about this mm-hmm. thing called the Indi way, which is about how we can engage in politics and, and a different relationship between the mm-hmm. member of parliament and their community. So one where there's, there's potential collaboration, there's working together to try and achieve joint things. It's not the MP always doing stuff for the constituents, but at times the MP helping the constituents learn the things they need to learn to actually be more active themselves and get stuff done for their communities. So that's been an important part of the change. Um, so Indi, I think, is now is known mm. not just within North East Victoria, mm. which is the electorate, but well beyond for 
many things, but it's now got a meaning which is much more than just voting every three years. It's about a way of doing politics, about more engagement with people, about trusting your constituents much more, about being prepared to work as a community to try and bring about the change you'd like to see. So mm. I think that's been a dramatic shift in the last nine years from being hardly known to now being quite well known amongst us in India. Which gets back to the end. reason you've agreed to be interviewed, which is that you've just sort of helped finalise a book on, on, on the Indi way. I gather you've been arguing for it for quite a few years, but you've got a lot of different people, a lot of different voices contributing <laughs> chapters, and, and it, it, it does seem to me to be important now that it's grown into this burgeoning, multifaceted movement with, you know, big money and, you know, big players, etc., that, that you'd, you'd like to, uh, or that this, this book to come out in November will actually say, well, this is, this is how we do it, just so you know. Um, what's that process been like, pulling together yeah. a book out of very different people with very different ideas and um, very, very long and complex relationships? Yeah, look, it's been a fascinating experience. It's been challenging. Uh, I think any kind of... Yeah, none of us have written a book before. Like back in 2013, none of us had been involved in a campaign before. Well, none of the voices of Rindai Group this time... So there's been about 10 of us plus a few others have got together on a regular basis for the last two and a half years to talk about this book. So it's been challenging in terms of trying to work out who's the audience. Um, is it just people in India? Is it beyond that? You're still um, asking that question, Who Phil. is best place I just to find try that, and... I, I just find that lovely well, that you're still saying we should be local, local, well, local when you, you know, <laughs> you're national, national, national. <laughs> not, not, not just local. Yeah. But I think in, in, in the end we do want to provide with people. So... The starting point was, um, Cathy wrote a book a couple of years ago, which is a part memoir, part how to do running a campaign, etc., and being a parliamentarian. So that was told from her perspective. The driving force, the purpose of this book is to try and tell the story from the perspective of the community across Indo, or communities. So different voices. The whole thing started from voice for Indi, now voices for Indi, giving people the power to actually have their voice and to be heard, to be listened to. So it was fundamental to this book that's not written by one, certainly not written by a professional writer who may write a brilliant piece but may not represent the views of many people. It was important that we tried to best represent as many different voices and views across the electorate as possible. So having different authors was a key part of that and then reaching out beyond the authors into other voices and a key feature of the book, which as you said will come out in late November, early December, is there are lots of breakout boxes where people in their first-person voice can say a few words about what they did, why they did it, what was important to them. So we're trying to give as much voice to the people across Indi, the community of Indi, have done this amazing stuff, because it wasn't just about Cathy, and it certainly isn't just about Helen. The most important thing is that people have stepped up, they've found a way to be involved in their democracy, they've been empowered to speak up, to have a say, and to be listened to. So that's what we want to try and cover in the book, the power of communities getting involved in their democracy. And it can be not just an important thing, but one of the most important things that they've learned is, is it, it, mm. it can be fun. So people enjoying the experience. Because we learned early on, if you do things and it's overly serious all the time, people will come for a couple of events or sessions, but they'll drop off. If people are volunteering their time over weeks or months... They need to enjoy the experience. So making it fun was a key uh, part of what we did throughout the campaigns and Voices for Indo. So that's why the book is centred around the community, about different people. Uh, but it's made the whole process much more challenging because we all have different views about what's more important. 
So this tension between mm. the community engagement part of what Voices of Unite set out to do and the campaigning, um, yes, they've come together in this, what we've used as a ladder metaphor, the different rungs of a ladder, uh, but that's been challenging to try and work out the best kind of balance of this book between the engagement part and the, and the campaigning. Um, and obviously different people have different writing styles, different abilities when it comes to putting words onto paper. Um, so and that's been challenging, but we're almost there. And I've got to say, we are very excited about the, uh, the end product as it nears completion. Um, we recently had, um, we've got a couple of people writing um, forewords and afterwords. So Barry Cassidy is going to write an afterword. And Kathy's written a foreword. And Laura Tingle is also doing a foreword. And Helen's going to do a bit of a summing up at the end, a postscript, if you like. But um, we got some fantastic feedback from Barry recently saying it was a terrific read and um, he loved the joy of the people being involved. So if he's picked up that particular element of the book, then I think we've done, we've done, we've done a justice to the people who have actually stepped up and done stuff across Indi. So it's trying to represent their views, but we hope people well beyond Indi can read it and learn from it and appreciate what we've done. They don't have to copy what we've done, of course they don't, but they might learn things which can help them engage with their communities. And if they want to get to the next election or a state election in this mm. year or next year in New South Wales, they might think about running a campaign to it as well. But that's up to them. So if they can learn from what we've done, that's fantastic. We're also keen just yeah. to have our story written so it's there yeah. um, on paper because over time obviously people forget stuff and new ideas come along, new people step up and what you did initially can be forgotten in the in this new power being um, channeled across the country. So we're keen to get, get our it's story out there It's very timely, well. and if I could just um, uh, make a little plug for no fibs. Um, Wayne was our, our Citizen Journal reporter in 2013 and has now become our chief reporter, and I understand he's provided the photographs for the book. He's provided a few. We've actually had a whole range of different sources, but Wayne... Um, was very kindly providing a few of those, and I think that happened just after his hard oh. drive, hard drive <laughs> blew up. <laughs> so p- poor Wayne <laughs> had to go back and find some magician yeah. to reconfigure his hard drive, which he did. And from that, he found he's he supplied us with thousands yeah. of photographs. We picked out a few, so we can only yeah. in the end have 20, 24 photographs in the middle. But some of those have come from Wayne, so thank you. And Leslie, of course, got involved in 2013 due to personal circumstances um, with the former member and is now a chronicler of No Fibs and I understand has helped edit the book. Well, well, we have got a a paid editor, but Leslie, um, because she knows so much about what we've done and she's got a backstory as well, which you mentioned, um, and because she's so able at uh, reading and writing... um, Good stuff. She's actually read mm-hmm. the whole manuscript a number of times, and most of us are probably too close to be as objective as we need to be at times. But Leslie has often provided a very objective set of eyes to read across and make comments and challenge stuff which we might have said. And it's been fantastic to have her as, her doing that, as well as being oh, a co-author yeah. in one of the chapters. So the chapter talking, yeah, the chapter talking about what we've done beyond Indi in the last couple of years, which Dennis has been a key player with, as well as the community independent project. Um, and Leslie's been involved with that as well. She helped um, author that particular chapter as well. So she's made a so magnificent contribution. So if I could just finish off, this is such a regional movement with regional values and it's transmogrified mm. into inner city progressive wealthy seats of... Um, and it, it just... And, you know, big donors and, you know, big players and all that. And it, it, it just strikes me that 
I'd appreciate your opinion on that. Is that the, the regional way is different than the city way and that it's natural that it'll take more time for Helen to get um, regional um, MPs there with her. But that there, there is a, a dichotomy there in, in the, the feel and the approach. Have you got any opinion on, on that? Yeah, look, there's probably a bunch of things you could say about that, Margot. Um, one thing we've learned over time, and I think if we go back to 2012, 2013, um, when we thought about should we run a, a campaign, should we actually try and find a candidate, we thought it would be even more difficult in the country, in a rural seat, trying to do this than perhaps in a city seat. Obviously, you've got the issue of geography. Yep. Indi is 29,000 square kilometres. And it goes all the way from peri-urban Melbourne right up to the border, the Upper Murray. So it's big in terms of geography. So it is actually yeah. hard to connect people across these valleys and mountains and plains. That's the, the obvious challenge. But what we've come to realise over years is that um, <clears throat> so much of what happens in rural yes. Australia is based upon relationships. And people do form around communities, their local town, their local footy club, whatever that community of interest is, people form and are involved with their community or communities that's where there is strong relational um, engagement. So we realised over time that once you start to talk to people directly, online, having meetings, etc., they'll go back and talk to their family, uh, perhaps their partner, their kids, their grandparents, they'll talk to work colleagues, they'll talk to the footy club members, etc. So it takes time, but once you start to move into those different relationships, mm. it becomes a very powerful force. And I think in a way it's although it does take more time and takes longer, it's actually more achievable perhaps in a, a rural seat than maybe in a, in a suburban seat. When it comes to that engagement part, now, but quite obviously in Sydney or Melbourne, uh, we've seen some massive change this past election with six or seven independents being elected in, in Sydney and Melbourne, new, new people, um, and they can run some pretty sophisticated campaigns based upon old media and social media, and they can spend money and run advertising. And what's happened in Melbourne and Sydney, of course, is there's been big demographic changes in the last five to ten years. So we baby boomers are dying yeah, out of yeah. this. There's fewer of us now than there were 10, 15 years ago and we're being replaced by the different generations and they have different worldviews and different ideas to what we do. So I think part of what's happening in Melbourne and Sydney, which the independent candidates have cottoned on to and which money has helped um, push even harder, is that the people who live in these seats now are different to who they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Often they are younger people, they could be renting, etc., etc. Um, so that gives, it makes for a different election campaign and also means that a more organised campaign, perhaps around bigger money, um, can have more impact. You talked about um, franchise. Now, I don't, so what we've done is we've tried to share what we've done, what we've learned over time to help others. We don't believe no. there's any kind of franchise out there. We don't support that. The whole thing about being independent is you are there to represent your community. So the only people you have to answer to are the, your, the constituents in your seat. There's no party. There's no big donors, hopefully, who are influencing things. So it's about And local capacity building. So, um, you know. Absolutely. So just exactly right. So, yeah. And the more so capacity building you have, on yeah, that note, the more chance. Um, you know, we've got big players in there now, very big organised players how did you approach uh, the, the Climate 200 uh, force? Um, how did you deal with that? 
Well, um, they gave us a donation in 2019 to Helen's campaign, and in this 2022 campaign, they offered us money, and we, in the end, they donated $25,000 to our campaign, which came in late March, and it was hard, It was part of Helen's campaign that any donation above the AEC threshold of 14500 we put on her website within 24 hours, and any other donation up $1,000 or beyond, we would do a quarterly update onto her website. So we're trying to be as transparent as possible. So yes, they gave us some money, but in the end we raised close to $400,000. So most of our money, um, and we had 1,400 donors who donated to the campaign, most of our donations yep. came from local people giving small amounts of money. So while the money from Clementina was important, it was only a small and did amount. And did you sign, did you so, do the usual? Did you um, sign a they're, contract they're, and promise to do this and that? And did, did you let themselves enmesh themselves? No, no, of I'm course saying. not. No, we, we didn't. Um, um, they had seen, you know, Helen had been uh, the MP for three years. They knew about Helen. She was fighting very hard on a bunch of local issues and some big national issues, um, of which integrity was a key one nationally. And as you know, she was the one who brought sure some legislation to Parliament and had a vote on she late last year, November. Um, and she thought she got, yes, she got a vote in favour on the floor, but it didn't have an absolute majority, so it couldn't quite get there. So um, she's fought hard on that. Climate has been a big yep. issue for Helen, but she's yep. tried to localise that. Look at the opportunities within Indi to try and advance... Regional um, community power. Different forms so of energy, exciting. Living. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Local community, yeah. yeah. Trying to get the benefits of that. So, yes... Um, that some of those issues align pretty closely with Climate 200's issues, and that's fine. Um, but we didn't sign any contracts. Um, they helped other campaigns, and that's good on them, um, but they didn't have any impact upon our policies or Helen's policies and how we ran the campaign. So quite separate to that. Um, but I think what they've done is to try and help balance the playing field. So up until they came on board, the big parties had lots of money, they had lots of big donors, and they could control things pretty tightly. So the money from Climate 200, and I think they had... Um, almost eight or 9,000 donors to their funds. So it wasn't just one person, it was many people donating. Um, that money helped many other campaigns become at least competitive and be able to put some adverts into local newspapers and across TV. So that was good to try and even at the playing field, but for, for our campaign in here, they didn't have any Phil, I'm honoured that you no agreed to come on No Fibs, and I'm, really, I'm going to review the book, obviously, and um, I gather that um, Leslie's going Fantastic. to interview you after the after the campaign, and I'm really looking forward to that too. That should be fun. Should be Thank great. You very looking much. forward to that too, mate. Pleasure. And thanks for today. It's been great chatting. Good on you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening, and hope you enjoyed this No Fibs podcast. Until next time, goodbye.